Today we will talk about symbolic interactionism and coordinated management of meeting. So first, symbolic interactionism. George Herbert Mead, an early social constructionist, was an influential philosophy professor at the University of Chicago, but he never published his ideas. And then after his death, his students published his teaching in Mind, Self, and Society, a good read if you've got the time. Mead's chief disciple, Herbert Bloomer, further developed his theory. Bloomer coined the term symbolic interactionism and claimed that communication is the most human and humanizing activity in which people are engaged. The three core principles of symbolic interactionism are concerned with meaning, language, and thinking. So once again, meaning, language, and thinking. These principles lead to conclusions about the formation of self and socialization into a larger society. So again, make note of self and larger society. So, meaning, the construction of social reality. This is where theory gets really complicated. First principle, humans act toward people or things on the basis of the meanings they assign to those people or things. So, once again, meanings they assign to those people or things. Once people define a situation as real, it's very real in its consequences. Where a behavioral scientist would see causality as stimulus, response for an interactionist would look like stimulus, interpretation and then response. Then you have language, the source of meaning. Meaning arises out of the social interaction people have with each other. Meaning is not inherent in objects. Meaning is negotiated through the use of language, hence the term symbolic interactionism. Second principle, as humans, we have the ability to name things. Symbols, including names, are arbitrary signs, just like a stop sign is an arbitrary sign where we have to interpret that meaning and then utilize it. By talking with others, we ascribe meaning to words and develop a universe of discourse. Symbolic naming is the basis for society. The extent of knowing is dependent on the extent of naming. Symbolic interactionism is the way we learn to interpret the world. A symbol is a stimulus that has a learned meaning and a value for people. Our words have default assumptions, and significant symbols can be nonverbal as well as linguistic. So we've covered meaning and language. Now let's talk about thinking, the process of taking the role of the other. The third principle in an individual's interpretation of the symbols is modified by his or her own thought process. Symbolic interactionists describe thinking as an inner conversation or minding. Minding is a reflective pause. We naturally talk to ourselves in order to sort out meaning. Whereas animals act instinctively and without deliberation, humans are hardwired for thought. Humans require social stimulation and exposure to abstract symbol systems to have conceptual thought. Language is the software that activates the mind. Humans have the unique capacity to take the role of the other. And then finally, we have the self. Reflections in a looking glass, right? So self cannot be found through introspection, but instead through taking the role of the other and imagining how we look from the other's perspective. This mental image is called the looking glass self and is socially constructed, or as the Mead-Cooley hypothesis claims, individuals' self-conceptions result from assimilating the judgments of the significant other. Self is a function of language. 
One has to be a member of a community before consciousness of self sets in. The self is always in flux. So if you think about if you were stranded on an island, could this idea of self be created? Or would you be reliant on what has been built into a community? Self is the ongoing process combining the I and the me. You saw that the chapter talked a lot about separating I and me. The I sponsors what is novel, unpredictable, and unorganized about the self. The me is the image of self seen through the looking glass of other people's reactions. Once your I is known, it becomes your me. Very complicated to sort these things out, and it'd be helpful to walk through those in questions that you have this week. Society, the socializing effect of others' expectations. The composite mental image of others in a community, their expectations and possible responses is referred to as the generalized other. The generalized other shapes how we think and interact with the community. The me is formed through continual symbolic interaction. The me is the organized community within the individual. A sampler of applied symbolic interaction. And so you have creating reality, meaningful research, and generalized others. So Irvin Goffman develops the metaphor of social interaction as a you know a drama performance. The impression of reality fostered by performance is very fragile. Uh, Mead advocated study through participant observation, a form of ethnography. Experimental and survey research are void of the meaning of the experienced. Name calling can be devastating because it forces us to view ourselves through a warped mirror, right? So we think about this I, me that we've created. Um, have we created where that's not the actual reality? These grotesque images are not easily dispelled by the creation of the I and the me. And then finally, you have this idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Each of us affects how others view themselves. Our expectations evoke responses that confirm that we originally anticipated resulting in a self-fulfilling prophecy. One final thing that I want you to critique these theories is Mead meets clarification of value, offers a new understanding of people, uses ethnographic research, and has a community of agreement, does not call for a reform of society, in fact says little about power or emotion in this theory, has fluid boundaries, vague concepts, and an undisciplined approach that lack aesthetic appeal. Mead overstates his case, particularly when distinguishing humans from other animals. So what I really want you to think about in this first theory is how vague and abstract everything is here. But I really want you to focus on the I and the me and these three steps of how meaning is created through language. Now let's go ahead and move on to this idea of coordinated management of meaning. So it's already been confusing with this symbolic interactionism. Let's talk about this CMM model. So Barnett Pierce and Vernon Cronin uh, bemoan the fact that most communication theorists and practitioners hold to a transmission model of communication. Uh, they'd say that definitions look through communication rather than directly at it. So what does that mean? We're going to explore that uh, through this little lecture. In contracts, uh, Pierce and Cronin offer the coordinated management of meaning as a theory that looks directly at the communication process and what it's doing. Communication creates our social worlds. That's the first claim. Selves, relationships, organizations, communities, and cultures are the stuff that make up our social worlds. So for CMM theorists, the Coordinated Management of Meaning theorists, our social worlds are not something we find or discover 
Instead, we as individuals create them. So Pierce summed up this core concept of the theory by asserting that persons in conversations co-construct their own social realities and are simultaneously shaped by the worlds they create. As social constructionists, CMM researchers see themselves as curious participants in a pluralistic world. They are one, curious rather than certain, so there's really no exact science to what is created. They are participants rather than spectators, so they're always involved in this process. They live in a pluralist world rather than seek a singular truth, so multiple things could serve as truth. And they advocate community-based action research, a collaborative approach to investigation that seeks to engage community members as equal and full participants in the research process rather than disconnected like many researchers do. The second claim, the stories we tell differ from the stories we live. And this is probably the most important thing that you'll be dealing with here. CMM uses the term story to refer to much of what we say when we talk with others about our social worlds, ourselves, others, relationships, organizations, or the larger community. CMM theorists distinguish between stories lived and stories told. Stories told are the narratives that we use to make sense of our stories lived. The management of meaning involves the adjustment of our stories told to fit the reality of stories lived, or vice versa. Stories lived are the co-constructed actions we perform with others. So once again, stories lived co-constructed actions we perform with others, and stories told are the narratives that we use to make sense of our stories lived. Coordination takes place when we fit our stories lived into stories lived by others in a way that makes life better. So if you think about it, when you are trying to create, like what, when someone asks you, what do you do? A lot of times we default to our profession, right? But what if I were to say something about, you know, I live life to the fullest, I enjoy life. Is that what is expected in these models? Stories told, making and the management of meeting, uh, you see this L-U-U-U-U-T-T or the LUT model is an acronym to label the seven types of stories. There's always tension between our stories and uh, the stories lived and the stories told. So the l L-U-U-U-U-U-T-T model. We'll go through that. Number one, lived stories, then unknown stories, untold stories, unheard stories, untellable stories, storytelling, and then stories told is kind of how we're going to go through these things here. Coordinating our patterns of interaction as stories lived. There's almost always a difference or tension between our stories told and stories lived, right? We're particularly concerned with the patterns of communication we create with others. The serpentine model can map out the history and analyze any conversation. CMM describes this type of conversational sequence as an unwanted repetitive pattern, which neither party wants to repeat, but they keep reliving it. Coordination refers to the process by which persons collaborate in an attempt to bring into being their vision of what is necessary, noble, and good to preclude the enactment of what they fear, hate, or despise. We use the phrase coordination without coherence to refer to people cooperating, but for quite different reasons. So we had our first two claims so far. First claim, our communication creates our social worlds. Second claim, the stories we tell differ from the stories we live. Third claim, we get what we make. CMM claims we create our social worlds through our patterns of communication. It follows what we get, what we make. 
We are urged that we ask three questions when we reflect on past interactions. How did that get made? What are we making? And what can we do to make better social worlds? And we need to really explore what it means to make something, right? And here's our fourth claim. Get the pattern right. Create better outcomes. We admit he couldn't be specific on what to do to make social worlds better, right? I don't think anybody has the exact answer to those things, but we talked about it earlier that there's no one truth, right? There's all these different things. It's very pluralistic. We can describe better social worlds as replete with caring, compassion, love, and grace among its inhabitants, not the stated goal of most communication theories, right? So this is kind of like this rainbows and butterflies model. The theorist's answer is that one does not need to be a saint or a genius or an orator. The communicator, however, must be mindful, and mindfulness is a presence or awareness of what participants are making in the midst of a difficult conversation. For an overall remedy to unsatisfactory or destructive patterns of interaction, CMM theorists advocate dialogue, a specific form of communication that they believe will create a social world where we can live with dignity, honor, joy, and love. The critique that I'd like to provide here is by offering such diagnostic tools such as the serpentine and the LUT models of communication, CMM promotes a deeper understanding of people and of the social worlds they create through our conversation. CMM leaves no doubt as to the commitments and practices that make better social worlds. However, it's not clearly defined. Although many objectivist theorists dismiss CMM because of its social constructionist assumptions, CMM has generated widespread interest and acceptance within the community of interpretive communication scholars. If changing destructive patterns of communication in whole communities strikes you as a bit of a stretch, you should know that pursuit of this goal is why these two theorists founded the Public Dialogue Consortium and the CMM Institute. Despite meeting the previous criteria with ease, lack of clarity has seriously limited CMM's wider use. What are you doing this week, folks, is dealing with CMM and the symbolic interactionism. Very abstract, but the key takeaways are the claims that design how we create meaning, how we understand the world around us, how we make sense of what we think is happening, and then how we communicate that with the world. So that are those are the things that I really want you to focus on when you're answering your questions. If you have any questions on CMM or symbolic interactionism, let me know. Uh, good luck.